Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Hi there, welcome to the Midcast. Thanks so much for taking the trouble to download this episode. This episode is one that I was looking forward to recording. Uh, It's a conversation with Aaron Elder, who is a church planter in Edinburgh. We had a great conversation about church planting, both as an idea and also as his experience. Uh, Unfortunately, that conversation took twice as long as we expected it to. So rather than the regular 25 minutes, it was 50. What we've decided to do is split this conversation over two episodes. We'll release this one today and then the second part in two weeks time. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Aaron and uh, we'll see you again in two weeks. Aaron, thanks so much for agreeing to do the podcast today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, First of all, I wonder, it might be good to just let people know a bit about you. So um, where are you working and what are you doing right now? Yeah, um, so I lead a local church in Oxgangs on kind of community on the edge of Edinburgh. So I do that with some of my time, with most of my time. And then the rest of the time I work for um, an organization called Kern, which works um, helping churches think about how they do mission and discipleship. That's just kind of particularly what I do. So I do some training and various things with them um, kind of in, in Edinburgh, but also across, um, mainly across Scotland. Yeah. Great. So how do, how do you get there? Let's get let's dig into that. Where are you from? So from, well, I say Manchester. I'm kind of, I've, I've dotted around. I'm the son of a Baptist minister. So we kind of traveled around a bit and as he kind of took up different jobs in my childhood. So Rochdale, Burnley, a place near Stockport, then Newcastle upon Tyne for a couple of years before Edinburgh. So I've lived in Edinburgh now longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life, um, but originally from the northwest of England. Okay, so I guess you're kind of from Edinburgh now then, if you've been uh, there longer yeah, than anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I just definitely support England, and I'm, I'm a Blackburn Rovers <laughs> fan, but uh, yeah, you can, you can say, that. say that. Wow, that's a shame. <clears throat> uh, so what, what was it that brought you to Edinburgh? So I moved as a student uh, in 2008. I moved to go to from Newcastle to Edinburgh University. So that's kind of brought me to the city. And then and then uni became an excuse to be in Edinburgh, really. Um, kind of a means to an end. I actually did an English degree, which is almost entirely unrelated to all the stuff I do now, um, because I wasn't anticipating doing what I do now. Um, but that's what brought me here in the first place. Brilliant. Um, what do you do for hobbies? What, what are you into outside of your church work? Um, so I, I guess in some ways it's church work, but I run a, a local football team. So that's one of the things I do. So that keeps me busy playing football a few times a week and, and mainly organizing a group of guys to try and get 11 on a Saturday morning is my main goal throughout any given week. <laughs> it's kind of the eternal on my to-do list is, uh, is get a decent side together for the weekend. So the joy of that is that I get to pick myself every week because I'm the manager. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so run the football team. Uh, yeah, and then what else do I get up to? Um I I did I did do an English degree, so I still quite like to read in my spare time. Um, yeah, bookish, but yeah, when I'm not doing that, 
I'm trying to be Alex Ferguson. That's what I'm really about. <laughs> It's quite an admission for a Blackburn Rovers fan. Yeah, no respect, Fergie. I think that's that's agreed across the Baptist <laughs> Union and beyond. Oh, there, oh, there we go. Excellent. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Um, wh- what about family? Are are you single? Are you married? What's your? Yeah, I am married uh, to Amy, who's a primary school teacher in Edinburgh. Uh, I've been married for almost three years. So our church is almost two years old, and we've been married for three. Okay, well that brilliant, brilliant. Uh, well, listen, it's great to get to know you a bit. Great to let people know a bit about you. But I think the stuff I'm really excited to hear from you today is really about church planting and your um, both your experience in it and your knowledge of uh, what's going on there. Uh, I think you have a, a lot of wisdom for us on a more on a wider perspective as well as just your own experience there in Ox Gangs. I wonder if we could tackle this in uh, two ways. First of all, if we could have a look maybe at the more process-driven things, the the institution of the church and how you go about getting from wherever you were to having a, a church plant in Ox yeah. Gangs. Um, and then secondly, we'll maybe go on to talk a bit about your own personal journey in that. Is that all right? That sounds good. Great. So in terms of how it began, how, how did the Ox Gangs church begin? Um, so it began uh, actually not not just in the last couple of years. So we were commissioned as a church May 2016. But actually there's been stuff happening locally for uh, I think about seven years, seven or eight years. So I've been living here the last five years uh, and stuff's been going on beyond that. So originally what, what is now Ox Gangs Community Church was one of the missional communities from Central uh, in Tollcross. So that, that church start, has a whole load of these missional communities. Um, and I was on staff at that church, uh, helping to oversee what happened with the missional communities. And then I, I moved out to Ox Gangs to join one and to live locally. Um, and so over the years, the journey has been from um, doing local mission, but being connected to a bigger city center church. So actually realizing that what was going to be what was going to be most effective long term to make disciples was going to be a new church planted in the local community. So that's really how how the, in terms of I guess big picture like how we got to where we are was a desire to see people discipled locally. So see not just people kind of come to faith and then taken back down the road for real church, but to begin to create a new worshiping community for local people where they already were. Um, and so that's what's kind of excited me about it, the idea of, of doing something that's new. And so we've deliberately set out not to plant a satellite um, or a, a campus of the church that we came from, but rather to plant a new church um, commissioned and sent from where we were to reach this new community in, in with real freedom to think about what that then looks like in terms of, you know, our pattern of meeting, what it looks like when we gather, how we worship, all that kind of stuff being informed, not just by, you know, church history and biblical principles, but also by the shape and flavour of our local community. Fantastic. I, I want to dig in more to that, but we'll try and keep the 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 the, uh, the timeline straight. So we'll come back to that if you don't mind. So in terms, so there was a missional community happening uh, in Ox Gangs. You went out to join it there. How did you get to the point of saying this needs to become a church? What was that process like working that through with Central? Or yeah. Was it always the goal that that missional community would become a church? So, no, it wasn't the goal. 
Um, the goal was that, that, that you know, the, the vision for missional communities is that they do mission, but that they orbit kind of in and out of a, a church. And so we decided that the way we were going to do that was to gather together what had become a few different local expressions of mission in one community. So really our, our church plan was let's gather together local missional communities that are all in this geographical area. Um, and so the, the way that that worked was we started with one group of about 15 people who were from Central and who were doing some youth mentoring at that point. And we said, well, let's let's do stuff with youth, but let's also look to try and do stuff in new ways. And so about three or four years ago, we started um, connecting with young families. We started doing some stuff with guys who were in recovery. Um, we started doing some stuff with young men through a football team. We started doing some new youth work. And so that's kind of the, the we've multiplied around vision to reach new people across our community. And then our, our gathering became a gathering of all the different types of people who were coming around those different missional things. And so the journey kind of, you know, when does it when did it become a church plant? Um, it was a transition. And so it was, in some ways, we changed, we moved the goalposts and we changed the expectations. So we had people with us who'd signed up for a missional community that was part of Central. And, and as a leadership, we felt like actually, and with the backing of the elders and the leadership at Central, felt like it was right that we, were, we would explore and move into the idea of church planting because we were so geographically focused and because the demographics we were reaching here in terms of the local people were different from the church that we'd come from. And it felt like a bit of a gulf. So we thought, well, rather than trying to help make the people who aren't yet Christians jump that gulf, let's, let's do it ourselves and try and do, reach them. So, so that's kind of how we, we got to where we are. And um, that meant that some people said, no, I'm not up for this. I didn't sign up for this new church plant. I, know I signed up for some mission as part of this other church. And so they went back, but only a few and, and many came with us. And actually I think, on reflection, many came with us who wouldn't have done if we'd have called it church plan from day one. So oh, perhaps okay. people who weren't signing up for, I'm going to be a church planting team, but who signed up to do some mission locally and God was at work in, in what they did in the community that was built. And over time, that then became their expression of church. Um, and so, yeah, we gathered and actually it's just, I guess it's picked up momentum since we kind of named it as a church plant. Um, since we started, I guess, having the freedom to think, not just how do we do mission here, but how do we become the church here? Um, others have gathered around it. Local people have connected in. And so that's been the journey of the last almost two years. We've been talking about it as church. Great. That's a brilliant story. Uh, particularly, I think, people who you recognize might not have signed up for a church plan. I think that's a really interesting insight that, that they were happy to join a missional community and God has worked in the middle of that. Have you seen that happen anywhere else? Is that something you think could be a helpful pattern to follow? Yeah, I think it. I think it could be. I haven't seen it happen anywhere else. There's a couple of places where I know the approach. So there's a church, a couple of churches down south, down in England, where who I have spoken to because they're a few years ahead of us in that they started our missional community, but with a view to planting a church, you know, to multiplying and planting church through a local missional community. Um, but I think it's, yeah, for me, the, the real virtue of it is um, is that it's reproducible. So actually, our church has only had an employed member of staff part-time, and that's only been for the last couple of years. So in the whole build-up, the whole kind of laying of the groundwork, building local relationships, being part of the community, um, there wasn't a pressure and expectation that we had to be church from the start. 
we weren't. We were a new missional thing that, that could grow and develop. And, and so it meant that we didn't put the cart before the horse. Um, we weren't going to plant a church unless we were building local relationships, making local disciples, seeing local people come to faith. We were like, well, actually, so actually right now, two years in, we're just doing the charity status stuff. We're just doing the finances stuff. So that kind of stuff actually has followed rather than being up front at the very start. And so I wouldn't say in terms of, I guess, how we typically perceive planting a church, I would describe we've, we've grown a congregation rather than kind of planted a church. Um, There's something wonderfully organic and deeply biblical about that, you know, that the church is appearing as disciples are being made as opposed to, oh, we're going to try and force this thing into this space. So We try. Yeah, we try. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you touch on another issue that's worth just mentioning. I'm sure some people would be really interested in, and that's the question of the whole charity status and that kind of thing. So it sounds like if you've been, if you were commissioned two years ago, you must have had a continuing relationship with Central, presumably, right. um, for those administrative and sort of things. Can you maybe talk a little about how that's yeah, worked? Yeah. So they um, Central have basically given us a covering. They they've basically given us. Um, permission but accountability so they've said go do what you feel god's calling you to do and we'll ask you questions about what you're doing as you go but we're not going to tell you what to do um but in terms of all of our safeguarding all of our charity stuff all of our finances all of our budgeting all of the stuff that you don't want to make the main thing when you're planting a church we haven't had to do up until this point um, so they've taken that stuff and, and kind of offered a covering and even in terms of um you know governance and, and authority um, we've still been under their authority and their governance. And so even now, we're, we're, you know, we're ultimately, I'm accountable to the elders of Central. We're under their governance. Um, and only as, as and when we set up our charity, our own governance, our own constitution, our own SCIO, all that stuff, you know, finances, that, that's, that's happening. So over the next six months, that's in progress because we're at a point where we're now on our own two feet and ready for our relationship with Central, to, I guess, to go from being parent and child to almost, you know, it feels like that's been a metaphor that's been throughout our journey, kind of from infants into adolescence. So we're at a point now we're ready to start earning our own keep a little bit and ready to start walking on our own a bit more. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And uh, do you mind talking a bit about the financial thing? I understand that's not always easiest to do, but um, I think one of the things I hear a lot from people is the question, is this not an expensive way to do ministry, planting churches, you know, it's going to cost yeah. us a fortune. We can't afford to do that. Um, could, could you, if you're willing to, yeah, would you be happy to reflect a bit on on that? Yeah, I, I think um, I think the way that we've done it has, has. I don't. I personally don't think it's been expensive. I think just just in terms of the model and the approach we've taken. So, um, I've been employed part time for a couple of years, um, but we've encouraged everybody who's been part of our church here. To, to tithe and to give back and all of our funds go back to central and then they allocate us a budget. Um, so that's the way we've done it. And, and we, we work out that we, um, we've pretty much broken even in that we're now, um, at least for a while we were giving, we were giving what we were getting and now we're giving back more than we're getting back. Um, and so that's why we're, we're kind of figuring out, Oh, actually now it makes sense for us to do this on our own because then we're giving people can give locally and know that it's going locally. So we've just encouraged people to do that. So I think it is an incredibly reproducible model. We've not had a building. We've had me part-time. 
and emissions budget. Um, and so that's been our expense. And actually, within two years of commissioning, we'll be ready then to, to no longer be under that covering and under the finances of Central. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, that's such a healthy model. And thanks for being willing to, to share that with us. Um, you mentioned a few other things, I think, before we move away from the church thing and get into your own personal story that are worth picking up on. You, you mentioned a couple of times about living there and you talk, as in, in Ox yeah. Gangs, and you talked also about that you understood it was the, the most effective way to reach people was to have the church locally. So there's, there seems to be a real high value on local here, both in terms of living and in terms of the church as being that local expression. Could you maybe talk a little about that? Absolutely, yeah. So we, I'd say it's exactly that, a high value placed on on local. So one of our values as a church is is local. Just, you know, everything we want, the, everything we do, the, the filter for it to be, how is this impacting local relationships, local people? We want to be part of the community. And so, you know, I'd had experience of being part of um, parachurch stuff, youth work stuff that was excellent, but was parachuting in. So you'd, you'd go into a deprived community on a Tuesday night and do a youth group for an hour, and then you'd leave, and then you'd see them again next week. Um, and there was there was a, there was you know there were good things that happened through those things, but I, but for me there was a sense of actually um, biblically there's a call to incarnate ourselves to go and be amongst people. Um, to dwell in the communities for the for the pains of the community to be our pains um, and for the joys of the community to be our joys. And so actually being in and amongst people. And it's been one of the best things we've done has been that high bar on, you know. So we basically said, if you're a Christian and you want to be involved, come and buy a house in this community or come and live or, or come wow. and live with one of us. Um, okay. and, and actually, many times I've had conversations with people sort of reluctantly turning them away because they've, you know, they've wanted to be part of a church that's more local to them, or they've heard Central starting something new over here. And then they've turned up and we've basically said, if you're not up for making this your community and serving this community and for this vision, this isn't your church. Um, and so we've really have set a high bar on that. And everything within me kind of wants to say, please just, just come along, just come along. But, <laughs> but actually that's been really, really good because expectations have then been clear. Um, people know what they're getting into. And, and so for us, yeah, from, for the whole time, living locally has been a massive kind of burden on our hearts to kind of be here, be in the community. Um, it makes every local engagement meaningful. So when I just walk to the shops, I'm meeting people I know or I'm making meeting new local people. Um, you know, the youth group we run across the road, they knock on my door. You know, is youth group on tonight. We have chats on the doorstep. Our neighbors become the people we want to invite to Alpha because they're our neighbors and we see them every day. And so actually it's not, it feels like for me as well as someone who grew up in the city center, um, not grew up, but kind of, yeah, lived and, and my first experience of Edinburgh was the city center to be out now on the margins, but to have this kind of integrated life where my church is local, my mission is local, my family life is local. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not that easy for everyone, but there's something beautiful about saying this is our community and we're here for the long haul to invest in this community. So that's been, yeah, a kind of really key thing i think in, and actually we've seen a real fruitfulness because of that i think um yeah yeah oh that that's brilliant and can i maybe ask you just a little bit about ox gangs partly for me partly for our listeners um it, it is it a very defined community i know in large urban areas these things tend to 
bleed one area into another. But is Ox Gang something that kind of like you can draw a line and say, this road here is in some other place, this yeah. one's an Ox Gang's kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, it is. Um, so it, it is defined, and it's defined because it's basically a working class community surrounded by middle class okay. areas. And so it would be defined. Okay. Um, and, and actually, it's not it's not a traditional scheme. I wouldn't say, say it's kind okay. of just a sort of, you know, you can define it like, like yep. that simply. Um, but it is a kind of working class heart. So it was created out of the clearance from the shipyards down in Leith. Um, and so it was kind of built on this, this side of the city. Uh, and so traditionally Catholic community, Catholic church, Catholic primary school. Um, but yeah, quite well defined. And actually, there's, a, there's an interesting thing of some people are proud to be from Ox Gangs. And some yeah. people um, would would actually not get a taxi to their front door. They would get a taxi to the bottom of the street and walk the rest of the way home mm-hmm. because they're embarrassed of living in ox gangs. And so there's something in the wow. identity of being local. And, and I've had conversations with people where they've said things like, um, you know, are you sure you want to start a church here? You know, that that's not what ox gangs is like. Um, and this reputation that people, and I, I think it's often a historical one for gangs and that kind of thing that's not necessarily a, a current reputation more of a historical one but yeah it's kind of mixed views of people's own community mm, oh brilliant so it sounds like there's some real work to be done even just in the community in terms of uh, just good community practice with people seeing their community as a place they want to live and invest in yeah absolutely sort of pride in where they live and uh, and a sense yeah. that there's i think the big thing is opportunity that, that you know there can be more than what you've experienced so far there can be more than you know than you had in mind for yourself or that your parents had um, that kind of aspiration that there is, you know, whether that's a, um, you know, you can, you know, you can work or you can, you know, you can provide for others or you can have purpose or if it's a bigger thing of actually there is hope for you. Um, yeah. Actually, you know, the good, good news to people in Ox Gangs is uh, it, it's absolutely that they're forgiven, but actually what, what often most connects with people that I talk to is the sense of purpose the sense that, oh, my life has some meaning beyond my experience of it. Um, that often is the something that really lands with people. Uh, but so, so even the gospel becomes local then? Absolutely. So talk about that. So if the gospel is good news, um, what is good news to someone in Ox Gangs? And actually what is good news to one person isn't the same good news as it is to somebody else. And so um, for some people, good news is, you know, I am forgiven. But if somebody has no conviction of sin, then actually, you know, and they don't feel like they need to be forgiven, then actually, you know, trying to sort of batter them over the head saying you're a sinner, you're a sinner so that you need forgiveness is not the way I start. It's actually, um, you know, there's more to this. There's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of life. There's a sense of, you know, being called into something bigger than yourself. Um, and so, you know, what, it, what, the, what good news sounds like to a teenager is different to what it sounds like to a single mum, is different to what it sounds like to one of the elderly residents. Um, you know, actually contextualizing the gospel, you know, not losing it, not saying, you know, make it what you want, but saying, actually, let's look at this from different angles. Um, and to you, the thing that's really going to connect and the really a way in is going to be this. Um, and that's the invitation. And so we try and, yeah, I, and I think one of the kind of things we've really gone after here is community, is creating belonging for people. I think for most people that we meet, that's good news to belong to a community where they're accepted and embraced and loved. And in that context, they can explore faith. Um, And so that's been why we've gone about it through missional communities, through 
you know, mum's work and messy church and a football team and youth and saying, you know, you can belong regardless of belief. But in the midst of this community, you know, we're a faith community. We're going to usher you towards Jesus because that's what we're about. Fantastic. And it sounds to me that you must spend about as much time listening because you have to be able to discern what is good yeah. news to people. Yeah, right? I think it's, it, I mean, at least initially it was a lot of our time. So, yeah, I just, I would just walk around the community or sit in ca- kind of coffee shops and, and eavesdrop on people to find out what's going on in their lives. Or, you know, I'd encourage people to just go and chat, you know, go to the school gates, find out what's going on with people. Um, be in the places where people are already gathering. So I became a, you know, a trustee at the local neighborhood center just to be in the thick of it, to find out what was going on in the community, who was already connecting with the community provision. Um, and then over time, it's, it's actually been, it's, it's become easier because we, you know, it's not just ox gangs, it's my mate Graham, who lives around the corner. It becomes real people, real relationships, you know. And I know as increasingly as I walk alongside people, what good news looks like in the lives of my friends who are local people. Um, and that often becomes a way in. So, you know, I've had situations where, you know, you connect with someone and the following week you're sat at their dinner table with 12 strangers because it's Sunday lunchtime and you've been invited in. Um, and that's often been a kind of great way to find out more and connect and figure out in the midst of that kind of situation. Yeah. What's good news? What does the gospel look like for these people? I hope you've enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed my conversation with Aaron. As I said at the beginning, this is only the first part of this conversation. The second part will be released in two weeks' time. In that, we'll get the opportunity to dig into Aaron's own sense of calling, his own experience of church planting, and really what that's meant for him. I hope you take the time to download that in the future. As usual, we want to encourage you to get in touch with us here at the Migcast. You can do so on Twitter at BUS Migcast or on the Baptist Union of Scotland website at scottishbaptist.com forward slash Migcast. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. I've been Glenn Innes. This is the Migcast. We are out. You've been listening to the Migcast a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.